At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is the Pittsburgh City Cast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. Step into this job and know that you're going to be working hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder with Mike Tomlin. I mean, I mean that's a dream come true. Um, you know, one thing I will say about coaches, I've never met anybody that has a greater passion for the game of football than Mike Tomlin. It's amazing, and that resonates on all of us in this building, myself uh, included. Uh, Coach, I'm excited. Let's get it. Meet the new boss, who's almost quite literally the same as the old boss. Longtime Kevin Colbert disciple Omar Khan gets the job to succeed Colbert as GM. His introductory press conference was today. We'll hear from Joe Rudder of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review in a little bit about how all that went down. I was there too. We're going to talk about the future and the present of the Pittsburgh Steelers through a football lens and gambling as well. That's around the corner. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast. Glad you're with us one more day before the holiday weekend. We are brought to you by BetRivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. Some MLB boosted bets for you. Any pitcher to throw a complete game in Major League Baseball Friday action. A new bet boosted to plus 425. I wouldn't touch that, to be frank with you, uh, when it comes to Pitchers throwing complete games. I don't care who they are. I don't like their odds. Bat flip Friday. Any two players to hit a home run. Miguel Cabrera, Aaron Judge, Bryce Harper, Freddie Freeman was plus 500. Now plus 600. Give me Judge and Freeman and see how that works out. Manny Machado to combine for over three and a half hits and or RBI versus the Pirates. It was at plus 350. Now at plus 400. Listen, if it's against the Pirates... It's a good bet. 
especially now that it's not the Colorado Rocky Bats on the road hitting against the Pirates. It's the Padres, who granted haven't been great at home, but it's the Pirates. More on them coming up momentarily. NHL boosted bet. Avalanche to score first in two-plus periods versus the Blues. It was plus 200, now plus 225. I wouldn't monkey around with that. Just go with the Avalanche. Um, If you want to get a little tricky, then take the money line on them tonight at minus a goal and a half. It pays out at plus 135. Having them win straight is minus 167. The over in that game is at minus 113 for six and a half. The under at minus 108. Uh, I'm kind of leaning towards the under, to be honest with you. After the way things went towards the end of that game, I look for things to tighten up. I look for the Blues to play it kind of tight and close to the vest and try to make this into a seven-game series. But I do like the Avs to win. Uh, I like them emotionally and financially. I'll tell you why shortly. NBA boosted bets. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to combine for over 59.5 points and the Celtics to win versus the Heat. If you want to get that parlay down, it's at plus 400. It was at 350. I kind of like it. Jimmy Butler, three-pointers versus the Celtics. Got to hit at least one. And the game itself has to go over 201.5 was plus 170, now plus 200. I was hoping for a little bit more of a payout for something like that. Not going to get it, though. Soccer, if that's your thing. Mo Salah or Kareem Benenzma to score the first goal of the Champions League final. The bets lose if no goals are scored. It was plus 180, now plus 200. I got no advice for you on that. Ask Madden uh, on Twitter. And if you want some sportsbook specials, we got them for you. Log on to BetRivers.com, receive a 20% live profit boost on any French Open wager, and bet three $10 NHL same-game parlays to receive a free $10 bet. Place same-game parlay wagers of $10 or more on the Phillies Met Series to receive a free bet, too. Saturday, if you log on to BetRivers.com, you can receive a 20% live profit boost on any French Open wagers as well. Also, the same thing goes for those NHL and Phillies Mets bets. Sunday for you, log on to BetRivers.com. You get that French Open bet, too, and you also get in on the NHL same-game wager parlays and the Phillies Mets series bets once more. Here's my favorite bet of the weekend. Padres over the Pirates on Sunday. The lines aren't up yet. It doesn't matter because the Bucks are going to San Diego against Joe Musgrove. Musgrove was... On the mound last against the Pirates at PNC Park on May the 1st, a game that the Padres won 5-2. Musgrove against the Bucks, beating his former team, allowing just one earned run over seven innings. Eight strikeouts, walking none. The Pirates are going to have to face Musgrove again on Saturday. That's the second game of this return series between the clubs at Petco. Musgrove is currently 5-0 with a 190 ERA. He has yet to allow more than two earned runs in any start. His strikeout-to-walk ratio is 51-9. to The Pirates will counter with J.T. Brubaker, who was excellent in his last start. No earned runs in six and two-thirds, but he's 0-4. So bet on the Padres, bet on the under. Take the individual run line against the Pirates, too, and start counting your money. Speaking of counting your money, that's what I want to do tonight if the Avs win. Here's where my allegiances switch. I went from rooting for the Blues so much in this series, 
so it could reach six to wanting this series to end right now with the Avs winning in exactly six. I had that at plus 400, so yes, give me that payout, please. Let's make that happen. That's just more money to bet on Joe Musgrove on Saturday. Also, the Oilers eliminate the Flames 5-4 to four in overtime of Game 5. Connor McDavid scores the game winner in OT. 26 points in 12 games. Let's kind of use that as a barometer. Again, 26 points in 12 games after the overtime game winner against the Flames. Uh, I didn't like that disallowed goal against Calgary, by the way, but compare 26 and 12 to Evgeny Malkin with 36 and 24 back in 2009. He had 28 and 25 games played in 2017. Gretzky had 47 in 1985. They only played 18 games, believe it or not, and he had 47 points. I think Coffey had 37 as a defenseman. Mario had 44 in 91 for the Pens in the series that ended with the Cup being hoisted by Pittsburgh against the North Stars. They only played 23 games, and he had 44 points. That's just unbelievable how things have changed in the playoffs hockey-wise. I like this because... All the hype surrounding McDavid is going to make people think that the Oilers are, as a team are better than they are. Um, I think their odds will be bloated and inflated because of McDavid. It'll keep the price down on the Avs, and I'm going to love it, and I'm going to play the Avs even bigger. As far as the Hurricanes go, I'm not sure if they win game six at MSG tomorrow night, but I do think they go back to North Carolina and win it in game seven. At the very least, if you're still a fan of the Rangers and you think they can come back and win this series, you can get it at plus 300. It'll cost you minus 400 to get the Canes on the series. It's almost a deadline tomorrow night with the Canes at minus 106 to win on the road and the Rangers at minus 110. You can still get plus money on the under, which just baffles me. I know it's five, but but still, plus 120, take it. I love that bet, even though the line is so low. It's been under the whole series, so why stop now as the games get more tense and they get to an elimination format? I bet it stays that way and gets even tighter if such a concept is possible. But we come back, I want to talk lots of Steelers. We'll talk about Omar Khan being officially announced as the general manager of the Pittsburgh Steelers at a press conference over on the south side today. That's on the way next year. The Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Bet River Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, must be 21 gambling problem. Call 1 800 Gambler. Decent amount of new stuff. I mean, I think every year offense you try to get new stuff go, uh, going and stuff that you can capitalize on um, so I think you know there's a lot of new stuff and a lot of stuff that he used to do in college that you know maybe Ben wasn't so comfortable with um, that he we're doing now because of our quarter mobility new for you too new for the tight ends or uh, there's gonna be some new stuff for us for sure but I think that um, you know they're mainly what we are asked to do is consistent consistent of what we did last year Pat Fryermuth bringing us back from break here on the Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. NFL.com's Cynthia Freeland came up with a list of the most underappreciated players for each NFL team, and here's how she defined underappreciated. She said, first, I calculated and then ranked each player's season-long contribution metric by team win share. 
To sum it up, without getting overly technical, contribution metric or win share measures each player's production during a season, in this case 2021. The metric encompasses a value for every snap by each player and reveals each player's contribution to the team's overall win total. After making those calculations, I factored in each player's salary by position, contract data via over the cap, to add some context around who was being underappreciated. And her nomination for the Steelers was Pat Fryermuth, the second-year tight end. She said, quote, The computer vision shows that his blocking win share metric ranked fourth best among tight ends in the NFL. Per NGS, his 19.3 catch rate over expectation on tight windows throws was the highest among tight ends. His utility in the red zone was also tied for top three in the NFL. In fact, all seven of his touchdowns were in the red zone. She went on to say that Fryermuth helps make up for deficits along the Steelers' O-line and creates an outlet for the passing game, both of which combine to make him an incredibly important factor for Pittsburgh's new signal caller, whether that's Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett taking over the number one job. And while I agree with all those statements, I can't co-sign on that one. I'm not going to rely on the fancy stats or data that Freeland rolled out, but Fryermuth doesn't strike me as either underappreciated or overrated. I think he is viewed and paid as a quickly emerging young tight end who burst onto the scene as a rookie on his first deal and as the arrow pointed up. What more need be said? But how about Tyson Alualu as somebody to consider? For as much as we bemoaned the absence of Stefan Tuitt, the defense looked great in week one against a good Bills team when he was in. And then Alualu was out after that. And after being hurt in week two against the Raiders, he was lost for the year. And then the dam broke. Alualu is steady, consistent, quiet, can play two positions, and has a positive locker room influence. No one outside of Pittsburgh seems to recognize what he does here. Plus, he's doing it for $3.4 million against the salary cap this year, exactly 1.6% of the cap. So Alualu gets my vote. The Steelers, by the way, are at plus 8,000 to win the Super Bowl, tied with the Panthers. Only eight teams have longer odds. They all stink. The Giants, Jags, Lions, Bears, Jets, Seahawks, Falcons, and Texans. Houston is at plus 22,500, by the way, to win the Super Bowl. The Steelers have the longest odds of any returning playoff team. I think that's fair because they were probably the weakest team in the playoffs a year ago and haven't made many significant upgrades. A few, but not a ton. At least not a ton substantially. Other non-playoff teams with odds just as long as the Steelers or shorter. Denver at plus 1,800. The Browns and Ravens at plus 2,000. Indy at plus 2,500. The Saints, Dolphins, and Vikings at plus 4,000. Washington plus 7,000. Then Carolina tied with the Steelers at plus 8,000. The only ones I'll quibble with on that list, Carolina should have longer odds. So should the Commanders. The Browns, too, given Deshaun Watson's situation thus far. But everybody else, I can see it. I can see why those teams are getting tighter odds than the Steelers. Like, for instance, I think Denver is still overrated. I think Indy is overrated. I think the Saints are a bit inflated, too, but I'd still put the Steelers behind all those teams indeed. For the AFC at plus 4,000, just the Jags and Texans are behind the Steelers. Why does that hurt to see? Oh, the Jets, too. I forgot about them, those three teams. Jags, Jets, Texans. and Yeah, that, that does hurt to look at. 
I can't argue with much of it, though. Again, aside from the points that I made about the Browns, Colts, and Denver on their own, uh, I'd still have the Steelers behind those clubs. Even look at the North Division. At plus 2,000, the Steelers are perceived to be a lock for last place. I mean, I've got them fourth, too, but I just don't have as much faith in the Browns at plus 210 because of Watson. The Ravens are at plus 195, and the Bengals are at plus 2,000. It might be a good idea to get the Bengals now, though, because if you don't get in on them at this point, I think they'll become the favorite. So if you're inclined to go with Cincinnati, my advice would be to do it now, especially as the Lamar Jackson situation and his contract dragging on the way that it is. So yeah, Steelers in fourth at plus 2,000. I get it. I really do. But let's hear from Joe Rudder of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review about what he thinks of all this. He is our Trib Live beat writer for the Steelers. He joined me on the Breakfast of the Benz podcast to talk about Omar Khan's introductory press conference and share his opinions on whether or not Khan can turn the Steelers around, and if so, how fast. Here is Joe Rudder on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Joe, for knowing Omar as long as I have, and that's been his entire career here, I think he and I arrived the same year in 2001. That is by far the most I've ever heard from him in a 20-minute press conference and probably the most we'll ever hear from him again in a press conference, right? Yeah, I guess until uh, maybe next year's draft or something like that. But, yeah, he was uh, – you know, he uh, got up there and spoke, showed uh, – you know, you could tell he spoke from the honesty, from the cuff. He wasn't really prepared, didn't have a lot of prepared thoughts. He was just kind of just – It wasn't a speech. Didn't, yeah, it wasn't a speech. He didn't have everything rehearsed. And that was nice and refreshing to see. Uh, yeah, he, he spoke at length and you know talked a little bit about his background because I'm sure a lot of people don't know his background and his, you know his love of football and where that came from and uh, you know, he kind of gave everybody an insight to who he is and what he wants to bring to this organization. What he didn't give insight on and admitted to us that he wasn't going to, yeah. at least as of yet, who Sheldon White and Andy Weidel are in terms of power structure. He gave us some background on how he knows them why he decided to hire them, why the organization decided to hire them and bring them on board. Um, Of course, at least in the case of Weidel, he was a candidate for this general manager's job in the first place, Mount Lebanon guy, uh, formerly with the Eagles and the Ravens before that. So what do you think or what do you know about how this is going to shake out in terms of power structure and who's going to do what in terms of management? I I think that remains to be seen. Uh, The the lingering thing is what this does really with Brandon Hunt, um, and, and he, whether he still has a high-profile role in this organization where they're bringing in two other people to really be the right-hand men for Omar Khan, it sounds like maybe Brandon Hunt is not going to be a part of that. Uh, the other thing he mentioned was Dan Colbert. Kevin's son is going to be elevated to a senior role, I think he said, yeah. although he wouldn't talk about his you know, his job description. So, you know, maybe that doesn't mean we're going to stop seeing Mac guys get drafted all the time. Does it <laughs> probably not? Or there's Duke he the, guys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was the Mac pipeline though. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So the, you know, he'll, he'll move up into some other kind of role and you know, that a lot of that's going to be determined, but it, it's, I think it's clear. It came through that Omar Khan has his vision for what this organization is going to look like and, and the power structure within it. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to see how this plays out. Even before the announcement was made, even before the reports came out that it was going to be Omar with a couple of the other candidates sprinkled in somewhere in the front office, there were discussions about people saying, well, and I somewhat subscribe to this theory that there's a concern that it could be too many cooks in the kitchen. But then I thought about it some more and just because there's more cooks, that doesn't mean that the head chef isn't even more so in charge. 
And is Mike Tomlin the head chef more than ever now? I guess, I guess, you know, I guess, I don't think he's lost any power. Let's put it to you that way. I mean, he still may have hold sway over some personnel decisions. Um, I think, you know, maybe he's the tiebreaker if they come down to, you know, having an interest in two for type of free agents or two type of uh, draft picks at a certain position. But I think, you know, it's, it's Mike Tomlin's still going to rely heavily on the scouting department and the general manager to kind of identify those players and, you know, do the legwork so then he can jump in late in the process and maybe help break that. I don't know if he has that much more power because that kind of does a disservice to Omar Khan and the role he's going to have. And I think, you know, the Steelers at least want to make it appear that Omar Khan is the voice of the general manager and that everything falls in line after that. I think from the standpoint of him being a numbers guy, a business guy, a cap guy, everybody assumes he's going to shine in that regard because he has already because that's what he's done. But the talent evaluation side, I think, is where people wonder how he's going to perform, which I assume is part of the reason why they're bolstering that aspect of the front office by hiring Weidel and White. To that end, though, if you're the general manager, you're supposed to have your fingerprints and your ID on the roster, and the roster is going to become yours in ownership uh, by extension in one way, shape, or form. So, um, you know, I asked him about it, and I, I got the impression that he felt like it was less of a concern maybe than what people are putting out there in the sense that he's been around it for 20 years now, and he I'm not going to say that he feels like he's got it figured out, but he feels like he's learned enough that the valuation side isn't foreign to him. Yeah, I got that impression as well, and, uh, you know, that's not his area of expertise, but like you said, when you're around somebody for 20, 21 years, you know, what Kevin Colbert did is going to rub off on him, and I'm sure he's been paying attention. He's a smart guy and, and can learn those type of things, and he, you know, I guess he did a lot, some of his stuff back when he was with New Orleans, and, you know, the game certainly has changed a lot since then, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, he is... He has evolved with that, and, and you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, because the other thing is, you know, if he's going to take on an all-encompassing role and have his hand in more different areas, is he going to be strictly doing the cap stuff? Is he going to have to have somebody come in to help him with that if his yeah. attention is going to be put in so many other different places? That's, an, you know, they don't, that's one area they don't want to slack off on because they've been so good at managing the cap and negotiating these contracts. You don't want to see a, a regression there for the Steelers. Yes, that's a good point. I mean, you don't want to... Weaken one aspect of your hierarchy just because somebody got promoted within that hierarchy and you're trying to bolster the other side of it. Now, that's one I hadn't considered too much, but that's a really good point. Uh, that's something else to bring up sort of, you know, when it comes to player evaluation. So much more nowadays of player evaluation is done via metrics and numbers anyway. And I'm not saying that the Steelers are all that more or less reliant on metrics. They're probably less so, you know, especially since they've had the same head coach in place for 16 years. They've had the same general manager in place for two decades. They've done it a certain way that wasn't necessarily reliant on the new data collection ways that people tend to lean on, especially in other sports right now. But I do wonder if maybe they become a little bit more reliant in that area because if you have an appreciation and a skill set built around numbers in one aspect, you tend to apply it in other ways. Yeah. So like, do they become more metrically reliant on bringing in talent to fill out their roster because of the direction that Omar might take it being that that is his background. 
Yeah, it could be. And, you know, he kind of indicated, hinted that, uh, you know, there are some things he's looking at from an analytical standpoint that he would like to implement. He wasn't going to, you know, reveal anything. He didn't want to give any way any state secrets, so to speak. So we'll have to see how that, that happens there, um, you know. You know, you got to make sure one thing you got to make sure with analytics, though, and I know Kevin Colbert talked about this before, is making sure you have an apples to apples comparison, whereas you're not trying to compare what somebody did in college to what another guy maybe did in the pros because it's so separately. You've kind of got to have, you know, very similar type of players and systems that they're working out of to be able to make that accurate comparison. Maybe like relying more on like uh, the combine numbers or the spark tests or things yeah, like that. Yeah, things like that, yeah. Or, or if you're looking for a free agent and you're trying to compare two different guys, two different wide receivers, or you're looking to fill out your roster, that's maybe where you dig into the more into the analytics and, you know, really break it down to see what, you know, what's there. Yeah, last thing on this, uh, Omar did point out that a lot of the tried and true methods or things of that stuff uh, are very much going to stay in place uh, insofar as, you know, not negotiating in season with players yeah. for new contracts and uh, trying to get all those things done in training camp or before, um, not negotiating more than a year out. Those tried and true uh, pillars of how the Steelers do business, he did say that's that was something he was transparent on. That is yeah. going to continue. Yeah, and a lot of those things were here before Kevin Colbert. I think that's something since free agency began in 93, the Steelers decided to operate that way of, you know, their way of business that way. And I, you know, I think that's something that they, that's held up for over the, you know, the last three decades. So that's something they're not going to mess with, no matter who the general manager is, because it's kind of worked to their advantage and they, the way they've been able to manage the salary cap and do things. You know, that, that I don't see why they would want to mess that up. And first through two areas, that's going to be applied: Minka and Deontay Johnson, uh, both of whom are, how can we put this delicately, um, participating in ways that are alternate to what the majority of the players are doing who are here so far, right? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, one we, know, we know Johnson's not here. Yeah, we, we one, one. yeah, one has been here, one hasn't been here. Um, you know, the lev- Minka's level of participation, I mean, I have, you know, he has been out on the field doing things. I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying that, What Johnson hasn't been. Um, yeah, and that's something that, you know, usually gets taken care of in training camp, so that's going to be really the big first order of business for Omar. So my thanks to Joe Rudder, and the point that I really want to dwell on here is the one that I made to Joe regarding Omar's stance in the press conference that some of these pillars of business that the Steelers stand by are already in cement and are not going to change. They'll still abide by not redoing contracts more than a year out without special circumstances. They still won't redo contracts during the season. Already, day one, and Omar says that stuff isn't going to change. You wouldn't commit to anything else, but he'll commit to that. And it just immediately reminded me of the Penguins and how the Penguins and Steelers are sort of on parallel tracks here and how Hextall... You know, an opportunity for change, an opportunity to reboot around Sidney Crosby. And the first thing he did was extend Brian Rust, which, as I've pointed out, was not a bad move, especially for the price that they got him at. I understand that. But also went out of his way to make it sound like they're doing everything in their power to keep Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang. Now, he might be blowing smoke on that front, but if actions match words, it sure sounds like the Penguins are trying to keep the band together and... The Steelers just don't seem to see anything wrong on the management end with what they're doing. You know, they're keeping Mike Tomlin as the coach. They're probably funneling more power to him. They lose Kevin Colbert as the general manager after running the team for 20 years. He's retiring, so they just elevate his top assistant. The guy or one of the guys that's being hired as another man on the 
personnel front, the pro personnel and scouting development front, is somebody who is a Pittsburgher who has connections to the organization and Andy Weidel, so there's familiarity there. They just want to keep doing things as they are doing things, and they don't seem to see a need for change, even though they haven't had a playoff win in five years, which is the longest drought since 1972. You know, Pittsburgh once referred to itself as the City of Champions based on the success of its sports teams in the 70s, the 90s, and the 2000s. Of late, though, those franchises have gone from playoff champions to playoff chumps. The Penguins recently completed their playoff series against the Rangers, and it was the fifth consecutive series defeat and fourth first-round exit in a row. The Steelers have lost four straight playoff games. They're 3-7 and seven in the postseason since their last Super Bowl appearance in 2010. The organization has failed to win a playoff game in nine of its last 11 seasons. Four of those years have ended without a playoff game at all, without even appearing in the playoffs, failing to qualify. And the club hasn't won a playoff game since the 2016 campaign. And like I said, that five-year drought is the longest since the Immaculate Reception. And the Pirates, well, the extent of their playoff participation since 1992 has been three wildcard games in 2013, 14, and 15, and one divisional round loss to St. Louis in 2013. So we'll leave them out of the conversation until management gives us reason to include them. But the Penguins and Steelers, they are both stuck in a very similar place. Pittsburgh playoff purgatory. That's where they are. Pittsburgh playoff purgatory. They are usually good enough to make the postseason. 16 years in a row for the Pens, which is amazing. 10 out of 15 years in the Mike Tomlin era for the Steelers. But they sure aren't doing much once they get there anymore. The teams are also in a similar circumstance insofar as that they are going through partial rebuilds with neither team preferring to use that word out loud. I mean, does that surprise you? The Pirates won't even say that they're rebuilding out loud. Yet in reality... They've pretty much been doing so since Sid Bream slid across home plate in 1992. For the Steelers, they're saying goodbye to a quarterback who played there for 18 years and a general manager that's been there for 22. Their starting offensive lineup may not feature a single player over 25. If Mitch Trubisky does win the starting job, he's 27. But if he doesn't, then no one's over 25. They also have a new defensive coordinator, an offensive coordinator in his second year. None of their starting linebackers or starters in the secondary are older than 27. At least to some degree, that's a rebuild. For the Penguins, both goalies, Marc-Andre Fleury and Matt Murray, are gone from their three Stanley Cup titles in 2009, 16, and 17. Of the 23 skaters in the 2017 postseason, 17 of them have vanished. Three more from the roster entered this offseason as free agents, Malkin, Latang, and Rust. We talked about them. Latang, he was injured in that 2017 postseason. Keep that in mind. Rust, we know, is coming back, but the other two are unrestricted. It's possible that by the time training camp opens next fall, the only players who will remain from the 2017 Cup team will be Rust, Sidney Crosby, Jake Gensel, Brian Dumoulin, and Chad Ruedel. And Dumoulin might get traded. Don't rule that out. To say nothing of a change in ownership and the departure of Jim Rutherford, a general manager, and team president David Morehouse. To a larger degree, that's a rebuild too. It appears both teams are going about their roster reconstruction very similarly. And odds are that both coaches are staying put to again draw a parallel. Tomlin will be back for a 16th straight season. 
And unless Fenway Sports Group pulls a surprise, Mike Sullivan will return as well. So long as Crosby is a Penguin, that franchise will never attempt a full reboot. For now, that's three more years of his existing contract. The franchise has eight expiring unrestricted contracts and three restricted free agent deals. Not counting Rust anymore, that's approximately $27 million coming off a payroll that last year was $83.53 million. That's a ton of money to play with to reconfigure a roster around Crosby and Gensel via free agent signings and trades if you want to take on salary. Those are things the Penguins have rarely been able to do over the summer months. As painful as it may be for fans to bid farewell to cup heroes like Malkin and Latang, that may prove to be a faster route toward improvement and one more championship run in the Crosby era. If they hold on to those other two big tickets along with Russ, though, in the name of sentimentality, they may remain in this extended stretch of being just good enough to not be good enough. You know, remember that quote that Latang said when he spoke with the media on breakup day? He said, it's a special group. It's a group that can win anything. Yeah, well, except for any of your last five playoff series, Chris, maybe that's more accurate to say. It was a special group. It was a group that could win anything. That's probably the better way to say it, but not anymore. Special groups get out of the first round every now and then. They make a conference final every now and then. The Steelers don't appear to have the stomach for this total teardown either. They're throwing numbers at problems. They signed a bunch of free agents, none of whom are going to make more than $4.75 million against the cap this year. They brought in three new quarterbacks, two new offensive linemen, and three new wide receivers during the draft, as well as a few faces in the secondary. And Miles Jacket linebacker. But the clearest sign that the Steelers aren't willing to burn it all down prior to just elevating Omar Khan and bringing in another Pittsburgh guy to be a secondary personnel guy in Weidel, the clearest sign that the Steelers aren't willing to burn it all down is what they did at quarterback. They drafted a 24-year-old senior with 49 college starts under his belt in Pickett as their first-round selection. That was doubling down after signing Trubisky in the offseason. Living with Trubisky or Mason Rudolph would have been indicative of the team being willing to operate in the current 8-10 to win netherworld. Drafting Pickett is suggesting they want him to take the club above that level in the immediate future, if not this year, then real soon. Until we see how Fenway wants to operate or how the new Steelers quarterbacks perform in the regular season, there's no reason to assume Pittsburgh's postseason lull is going to end anytime soon based on the way that they're operating. As a city, no doubt we're spoiled. Five years without a title or a playoff win may seem like a blip to other towns, but then again, these teams have had the talent to do more than what they have of late. So I don't blame the fans for getting hungry, and the longer both franchises keep sending the message that we're always competing for a championship, it'd be nice if they actually started to flirt with that happening again, or at least flirt with the notion of getting beyond the first playoff round to make a run. All right, that'll do it for the Pittsburgh CityCast today. Glad that you were able to join us. Glad that you were able to join us before the holiday weekend. Uh, we will be back with everything kind of pushed back a day. 
will probably air Tuesday through Friday of next week. Uh, might put one out early on Memorial Day. We'll see. But Matt, I know that Madden Monday is going to be pushed back until Tuesday. So we'll talk to Mark then. Uh, this is the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to betrivers.com.